0: Father God, as we dive into um, part three of this series on love on getting to the heart of biblical love, uh, Lord, I pray that we would learn more about you this evening and learn more about ourselves in the process. Uh, Lord, as we look at boundaries and relationships, as we look at being rivers instead of floods, um, Lord, may this penetrate our hearts and change our actions as we interact with the world this week in your son's name. Amen. So first week of the series, we talked about what we were made, we discovered that we were made for relationships, right? We talked about that's what we were designed for, we're designed for relationships. If you're like me after that week, you probably tried to wiggle out of it by saying, well, I might be designed for relationships, but it doesn't mean I actually have to like anybody I'm in a relationship with, right? Um, But as we discovered in week two, uh, you don't have to like everyone that you're in a relationship with. But as we dived into 1 John 4, it's that you have to love everybody that you're in relationship with. The gospel of Jesus goes even further and says that you're to love your neighbor. And when a lawyer asks Jesus that in Luke 10, who is my neighbor, Jesus responds, if you remember correctly, with the parable of the Good Samaritan, which teaches us that our neighbor isn't just the people that we're comfortable with, Right? It's the people you wouldn't be caught dead with. That's your neighbor. We're supposed to love them. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if you want to be more clear about it, if you look at Mark, five, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, Jesus clearly states, "Not only love your neighbor, He says to love your enemies. So it goes even farther. But loving your enemies isn't the problem, right? Like that's not your problem. If you're like me, you have a good problem loving your friends. Like, you can hardly do that half the time. We only love when it's convenient to our agenda and our timetable. And we love, when love is about self help, when it's about me, it is no longer love. It must conform to the cross of Christ, it must be sacrificial. As Joe said last week in our transformation group, great marriages are marriages that are trying to outgive each other. How can we sacrifice for each other? Imagine if we were a community of believers at YAC who did that, who tried to outgive each other, who tried to outlove each other as we interacted with one another all, every week. Now, today, we're going to look at what healthy boundaries look like in relationships. Now, I know what you're saying. AJ, I, I thought we just talked about, you know, love is super sacrificial to our enemies. How are we now setting up walls to keep them out? Why are we setting up boundaries? That's not what I mean by boundaries, okay? The boundary I'm talking about tonight is the difference between a river and a flood. Okay, let me explain the analogy. A flood, as many in Texas know, overflows. It takes over. A flood impacts all areas around it, but it's destructive. It's shallow and it'll eventually wilt away, leaving a mess in its wake. And some of you have been in those type of relationships where they're there for a season and when you leave, it's almost like a sigh of relief. Like, oh, so happy they're gone. That was awful. I needed like a flood bucket and a boat and like, there's a mess I got to clean up. Okay? You've been in that relationship where they've hurt you so much, it's just hard to forgive them. Or maybe you've been in that relationship where you the one You're the one who's done the hurting. And every time you think about that relationship, you go, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. A river, a river on the other hand, moves the water well. People play and live along its banks. It continually cuts deeper into its environment. And for miles around the river, the environment is affected. A functioning river benefits everything that it touches. And as other streams come into it, it builds. And as the river ends and moves into other streams and other rivers, it feeds those relationships that it moves. I hate to break it to you, but the fact is, I've been doing this for 12 years now, that a decade from now, I will not get to know many of you in this room On a weekly basis. We'll be all over the country. We'll have different jobs. Some of you, believe it or not, will have families by then in a decade. Some of you will be serving the Lord overseas. You know, my former students are all over. Literally, all over the world. And we just don't get to interact a lot. Like we like each other's stuff on Facebook. But that's the depth of the relationship, and I have to ask myself at the end of the day, when that relationship it didn't end, right? I got to spend the eternity with that person, hopefully, right? But for that season, as the waters recited, did I leave a flood, or did, it leave, did I leave a river? Did I feed into their stream so they could feed others, or did I just leave a lot of sand on their doorstep? And hopefully for you. As you enter these seasons of life in the next decade, when you bump into other Yak students at the mall, or you bump into me at the mall, I hope there's a hug, and I hope there's not that, I hope they don't see me, right? Because those are typically what happen after a decade. So how do we love well when life gets hard and life moves? Well, the first thing we got to ask, right, is what is a boundary? What's the difference between a river and a flood? A boundary tells people who you are. Okay, that's not the fill in the blanket. Yeah, it is. The boundary tells people who you are. Sorry, I have the repeat later. It's your identity. Excuse me. It's your identity. Are you known as someone who loves? Or are you known as someone who takes advantage of other people? Are you known as someone who forgives, or are you known as someone who keeps a lot of records of wrongs? Are you known as someone who's authentic and vulnerable, or are you just known as someone who's easy to manipulate? Are you driven by fear of others, or are you driven by the power of the cross? Boundaries tell others who you are. This is the second thing boundaries do. Second, boundaries, this is your next fill in the blank are a wall to your soul. You can put damn in there too. I kind of like that phrase allergy more, or a damn to your soul. I just kind of felt weird about putting damn as one of my fill-in-the-blanks in in a Christian talk. So it's a wall or a damn to your soul. Look, boundaries are not designed to keep you from interacting with a broken world. But boundaries keep that broken world from controlling you. Does that make sense? Boundaries keep that broken world from controlling you. It makes you the influencer and not the one who's corrupted by bad company. Dr. Henry Cloud reminds us in one of his books on boundaries that you and only you are responsible for what's inside your boundaries. If someone else is controlling your love, emotions, or values, they are not the problem. Your inability to set limits on their control is the problem. Boundaries are the key to keeping your very soul safe, protected, and growing. That's why boundaries are so important. And not only that, not just for you, at the same time, boundaries provide a safe foundation for friends in a broken world. If someone's not the wall that they can hold on to in a flood, they're just going to go along with the damage and destruction. Now, if you're like me, you fail this measure often. Not only are you corrupted by bad company, a lot of times you are the bad company. I'm selfish, I'm impatient, I'm prone to unwanted frustration, I give up on people and I assume the worst. That's why we started with the first two sermons in the series and I plead with you if you missed a week or two weeks, go back, they're on iTunes, listen to them, listen to them, listen to them, they're so good for you. Go back and listen because we have to ask for grace to be able to be defined by our Savior and not by our selfishness. We must be defined by cruciform love and not a love that is all give and take, which is what the world says with the naked baby with the bow and arrow. Remind yourself of who you are. You are a child of the Most High God. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within you and gives you the power to love. So it makes total sense that just before the most well-known breakdown of love in 1st Corinthians 13 it's the love is patient love is kind verse that they say and quote some point at every wedding paul sets up boundaries in which we are to love in the chapter before he reminds us that we're in relationship with one another and we love one another as one body so turn with me real quick 1st Corinthians 12 turn with me to 1st Corinthians 12 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts, Romans, 2 Corinthians. Now here's what it says. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, starting in verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, the prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as one, as the, one, as the body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. This is so weird, but it's an analogy you remember, right? If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now to begin, this section on the body reminds us where we've been the last two weeks. It reminds us where we've been the last two weeks. So as we move out of this Bible biology lesson, let's look at the first fill in the blank. This is what it first reminds us of. First, it reminds us that we are called to relationships. First, it reminds us we are called to relationships. We are made to be one body. As three persons, we're made to be one God. We will have different gifts, different ways we grow spiritually, different ways we deal with conflict, different way we hear the word of God, and that's all good. That's weird for some of you to hear because you're like, no, my way is best. These people are inept because they clearly lack my gift of wisdom. Okay. No, it's designed that way. You are not the center of the universe. Your interpretation is not the center of the universe. Christ is the center of the universe, and you play a part in his story by being a part of the body. Some of the questions we will cover in transformation groups are how do we fit in the body tonight? What are our giftings and what can we add? Transformation group questions are up here, leaders. Second, so you next on the blank, we don't get to be selfish with our love. We don't get to be selfish with our love. We talked about this last week, how we ought, there's that word, ought to love. Not just a moral obligation, but it's a design thing, right? We are designed for love. We are designed to come along beside each other. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. So high schoolers, you can't look at the middle schoolers in the room and be like... They're so immature. We do not need them. And so don't. Middle schoolers, you can't look at the high schoolers and be like, such a bunch of idiots. Like, I don't think they're going to make it. You can't do that. You have to look at what the other person can give to the body. No, you ought to out-love each other, right? So, what's the new stuff we can pull from this section? Third. Here's the third thing we can pull. Inviting people into the body should be natural and beneficial. Inviting people into the body should be natural and beneficial. Just because someone looks different than you Or acts different than you? Or is a little weird? Or is a little too cool for themselves? Or all the other what-ifs, what-ifs? Just because they're that, and you're thinking of that right now, doesn't mean they do not belong in the body. We all function in the same body. Just because they're major screw-ups does not mean they don't have a place in Christ's kingdom. Zacchaeus was small, Paul, he was a persecutor. John betrayed his friends. David was an adulterer. Moses was a stutterer. Abraham didn't trust God. God uses screwed up people. Almost exclusively in scripture. That should give you encouragement. Because there's a chance for him to use you. And the screwed up person you think he'll never use. Should give you hope. Fourth, on the flip side... Be firm with people who want to pull you out of the body. Be firm with people who want to pull you out of the body. This should be one of the things that defines you, one of your barriers on part of the body of Christ. This should be the red flag that is raised. If someone is encouraging you to step away from the body, you need to hold firm. You were designed for the body, and the body was designed for you. You have a place in it and a purpose. And when you abandon the body, you do not just affect yourself, but you affect every other member that now can't hear, see, touch, run, heartbeat, lungs, whatever part of the body you are. Your absence, and when people try to pull you from the body, that should be a red flag. Look, throughout the next couple weeks, if we continue, I think we are going to do at least one more week on dating. I'm going to give you a couple dating moments. Okay? So for those of you that will date in the future. I know it's only a few of you, right? Um, But in the future, these are your dating moments. And here's the first one. Okay? For you old-timers, you've already seen this play out a couple times. Okay? Yeah, you too. Okay? Dating moment. Point four. Be firm with people who want to pull you out of the body. Is so important in dating relationships. It's so important. I'm going to let your parents and you set boundaries on dating. I'm not going to do that for you. Yay! Okay, But the one thing I'm going to encourage you to do is that this is a red flag. When you get into a potential romantic relationship, use the body to evaluate if they are good for you or not. Bring them to church. Bring them to the youth group. If they aren't comfortable around your friends or around your church body, then this probably isn't the right relationship for you. If this is the body that you're living and breathing and working with and coming alongside you and growing spiritually, and then there's something, buddy, that's like, nah, I don't like it, you should leave this body. Anyone who is in a potential romantic relationship with you and wants to isolate you, that's a huge red flag. Well, we just love each other, and we just want to spend all this time to just... Uh, no. No, stop it. Like, if they're not showing you off to their friends red flag and if you feel weird about showing them off to your friends that's a red flag too because that means you know and they know something's wrong with them so don't do it Capish? kapash thank you you've seen this with some of the older boys when they would bring girlfriends we'd be like oh, oh she shouldn't come back ever um So, I mean, we saw it, you know? One in particular I can think of. Um, So, look, look, you might have loved the book Twilight, but it doesn't work in real life, right? Like, it doesn't. Like, my boyfriend's a vampire. We hang out all the time. He wants to suck my blood, but I won't let him. Like, that's awkward. And the fact that he could have been her grandfather. Like, sorry, off-kilter. Sorry. (laughs) Just weird book series okay and this all leads me to my fifth point okay fifth point does the other person you are in a relationship with need you or need Christ do they need you or need Christ look it's kind of a trick question I know I do that sometimes if they're in the body they'll need you and Christ? Haha, see how the body works? It's good. But if they're looking to fill the hole in their hearts with you, you're going to be disappointed and they're going to be sorely disappointed. Look, if someone's not a part of the body and has no desire to be part of the body, but just wants to use you, that thing's called a leech on the body. Leeches are not part of the body. They just suck your blood. Okay? They just drain your energy. They just are leeches, okay? At the end of the day, they're just someone that just wants to use Christianity and not be a Christian. And if they're in community, if they're still sitting around here and they're like, okay, you know, I'm still getting this Jesus saying, if they're willing to be called to something greater, awesome. If they just want to use you, remove the leech, okay? um, Yeah. You have the right to say no. Hear that now? Because you're going to be in the relationship in like some of you a decade, right? Hopefully, all of you. I'm just kidding. Um, But like you'll be in a relationship at some point and you'll be like, oh no, it's just so mean to say no to them. No, they need a boundary called no. That's the most loving thing sometimes you can say to them. No. What do you mean? I mean, aren't we something? No, I'm something, and I'm in this body with everybody, and what you're asking is not right. Okay. Sixth, does the other person want to be known or just seen? Do they want to be part of the crowd? Are they willing to be honest with the crowd? These are the type of people that say, they're, these are the type of people that just say things just to please who's ever listening, right? The people that just want to be seen but not known. This is why displaying vulnerability and honesty is so important because you invite them to do the same thing. And let's be real. Many of you in this room might fall into this category. An honest person wants to be known. A dishonest person just wants to be heard, but never listens. Dating moment number two, OK? This is the one of the most, and for me, it is the most important thing in a dating relationships. Hurt people will say anything to get attention. In a friendship relationship, you can heal hurts. In a romantic relationship, hurt people hurt people. Does that make sense? It's one thing to have loved and lost, and it's a completely different thing to to have loved and been lied to. One of the ways this plays out in both dating and regular relationships is this. This is your next fill in the blank. When you are honest, how the other person responds tells you whether a real long-term satisfactory relationship is possible. When you are honest, how the other person responds tells you whether a real long-term satisfactory relationship is possible. Because really, there are only two reasons people lie. There are only two. First one. These are the liars who lie out of shame, pure guilt, conflict, loss of love, or other fears. They're the ones who, like, lie when it would be a lot easier to tell the truth. You know these people? Like, why don't you just just tell the truth there? Like, what was the big deal? But they just can't help themselves. Like, there is hurt there that needs to be worked through in a friendship, in a body, but doesn't need to be worked through in a dating relationship or you're going to get hurt. The second type of people that lie are those who lie as operating and deceiving others for their selfish ends. There is no fear or defensiveness involved. Just plain old lying for love of self. If you have a relationship built on a lie, you have a relationship built on nothing. Nothing. What rocks dream about? Zach's girlfriend. Okay? We're back to that. Okay? So listen to King David's tough stance on lying. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. King had a pretty uh, decent, what do we call that? Boundary. Use that in your relationships. Okay? So be willing. So be someone willing to be honest. That should be one of your boundaries. Be someone willing to be honest. And another barrier should be to expect honesty. You should expect it. Don't ever brush it off. The number of relationships I've dealt with with high schoolers, they're like, well, you know, that was just one time or, okay, seven times. Like, they, like, justify it, like, to no end. No. Healthy people don't do that. Have a boundary. Okay? It's one of the things that you must love living up to. And and if someone hurts you, someone lies to you, you need to say this. Hey, blank. It really hurt me that you lied to me. And then shut up. You know what I said earlier? When you're honest, how the other person responds, tell you whether a real long-term satisfactory relationship is helpful. So when you call somebody else, hey, ex person, what you said really hurt me. I wish you had told me the truth on that. Why did why did you lie? And then shut up. And listen. If they, A, they'll either do three things. A, they'll deny it. <laughs> I didn't, do, I didn't know what you're talking about. You're twisting my words. Why would you do that? You're not a friend. You're twisting my words. They'll deny it. B, they'll brush it over. Well, I mean, it really is not a big deal, right? And then for you, you need to respond with, well, well, it is a big deal to me. And here how they respond. Number three is the best. They own it. Yeah, I screwed up. I was just trying to impress you. I'm sorry I lied. Those are people you can work with long term. Okay? Those are good people. You keep those people around. You get some handcuffs, snatch them up. Carry them around with you. It's illegal. Don't do that. Okay? But that's good. You want honest people in relationships. Here's your dating moment. If you are in a relationship with a potential romantic partner and they do A or B, dump them. Right? Like, can't be in a relationship with you. Like, I think you're an awesome person. I'd still love to be your friend, but until you work on this line thing, I just can't, I can't trust you. Dump them. Especially if it's like the first couple of months of a relationship, that's when they're on their best behavior. But if they're pulling this junk and it's like month one, wait till year two. It doesn't get better if you don't have a healthy boundary set up to direct it. If you let them be a flood in your life and not a river, See see how that literally practically plays out? Okay. Seven. One of the most loving things you can do in a relationship is tell somebody no. It shows maturity. That you aren't just going to go with the crowd. It also voices your boundaries, lines you won't cross. Listen, this is so important. Because everyone in our culture misses this, right? Because the moment we disagree with someone, everyone's offended. Which is silly, right? But it's okay to have conflict. Conflict is not a bad thing. The Bible and all relationship research is very clear on this issue. People who can handle conflict and confrontation and feedback are the ones that make relationships work. Are you the type of person that does that? Can you make relationships in our body work by... Being open to feedback and honest criticism. They keep you going in one direction, a river, instead of being pulled into a flood. Even if it's a good opportunity, sometimes it's okay to say no. That's a hard one for me, right? People please are you. Well, I mean, it's good. Jesus likes it. Okay? Finally, I hate this one. There is a point to shaking the dust from your feet, there is a point from shaking the dust from your feet alright so this is what I mean Bible times they go into the village and preach the gospel if they like kicked them out or yelling at them, cursing them, to get to the edge of the town and they'd shake the dust off their feet which is their way of just saying okay fine like I'm done with you okay it's scripture so the disciples would go into the villages point one they'd seek relationships offering the gospel point two open up to love Inviting people into the body. Point three, it's natural and beneficial. The disciples were focused on the mission and wouldn't abandon the church body, even if there was a really hot body in the village. You know what I'm saying? Hey. Point four, and if people were going to be a leech who just wants to be heard and won't take no for an answer, then it might be time to shake the dust from your feet and move on. Look, I'm say- not saying this. It's not removing somebody from your life without the opportunity for reconciliation. We are to forgive seven times 70. Okay? But if you want to flood people's lives, but if they want to flood people's lives and not be a river, then let them. You don't got to be a part of it. So what do we do with these people of all the different types are going to interact with the boundaries? This is your next three fill in the blanks. They're pretty quick. Pray for those who want life to be all about them. Pray for those who want life to be all about them. The ones that are lying, the ones that are leeches, the ones that want to be seen but not known. You need to pray for those people. I'm not saying you stop interacting with them. That's not the point of boundaries. Boundaries are to protect you, not to remove you from them. Two, provide them with an avenue to walk down if they want to. Hey, I'd love for us to be friends, but you got to stop lying to me. What you're saying is, you can literally be my friend whenever you want. Stop lying. You can even occasionally invite them to things still. Hey, a bunch of us are going to a softball game this week. You want to come? Sure. And provide them opportunities to succeed and fail again. It's the hardest part. Because you will interact with people that will fail you over and over and over and over and over. But you're giving them opportunities to succeed. Lastly, but having boundaries will allow them to not walk all over you and protect you from being dragged down the same path. I know just as many Christians who were just like you a decade ago who didn't set up boundaries, and they got to college, and their life got really hard because they got dragged in with people that they had no business being around because they didn't know who they were. And they pulled themselves out of the body, and they thought it was going to be okay. Hey. Use these. Set themselves up. This is just the beginning of the conversation. This is clearly not the end. So, when wait-